Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Kane, and you're listening to the Home in Place podcast, where I translate theory to practice and create cross-discipline conversations about aging and the importance of place. I am so glad you're here. Today, I'm talking with Mark Beard of Life Stage Home Designs, headquartered in North Carolina. Mark is an experienced leader in retail design, interior architecture, millwork design, planning, and project management. LifeStage Home Designs is a residential design company focused on universal design to meet the increasing demand for new homes designed for aging in place, accessibility, and multi-generational living. They also work on major renovations that require architectural design support. Today, Mark and I are going to be talking about the highly requested topic of multi-generational housing. I am so excited about this. Let's begin. Mark, thank you so much for being a guest today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Hey, thanks for having me on today. It's nice to catch up. You too. So we're going to just jump right into this, talking about intergenerational or multi-generational housing. So I would like for you to lay out the case for what is going on in the country right now. What, how many people are living in multi-generational housing? What, what is the trend looking like? Uh, yeah, well, we, we know the trend is definitely going upwards. Um, I think if you go back even from the, the 80s, uh, it seems like it's been a growing trend. I think one of the studies I, I read not too long ago was uh, 20% of our population already is classified as living in a multi-generational household where there's, there's two adult generations, and then that could also include grandchildren under the same roof. Um, and, and it seems like each time a census is done every, you know, every so many years, it just continues to tick up, up and upward. Um, so we don't expect the trend to uh, slow down anytime soon. That's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. 20% of our population. Yeah. I mean, that's one in, that's one in five people. So literally, <laughs> you know, think about how much that could be just in a, in a daily, uh, daily routine of meeting folks. I mean, that's, it's a lot of people. Wow. And, and it seems like more people are looking towards this multi-generational housing as an option for the future too, because of, you know, um, overcrowding so that, you know, market rates are already really high and going up in so many different areas for housing prices. And so what if, what if we could live together and pool our money or save our money and go in, go in together? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think money is obviously a big, uh, big factor in it. Just as you said, I mean, now you've got two adult um, generations, typically the the parents and their <clears throat> adult children pooling their money together, uh, all going in at the same time. Um, you know, they might be able to get a little more of what what they all want, and of course, they get the benefits of having you know built-in <laughs> babysitters for the grandkids and the. <laughs> Also, I know I read something the other day, the grandkids get the benefits of having the younger kids there to teach them technology. So it's kind of, there's a (laughs) lot of different layers that that can kind of merge well. Um, You know, so I think people are seeing the trend. And it's really nothing new. If you go back and look, whether it's foreign countries or other areas, I mean, it's it's been a pretty popular lifestyle for, for the longest time. I think it's just becoming to come back around, especially in the United States. Uh, whether it's economic factors, um, family factors, our aging population with the parents uh, that are looking for ha- to have their uh, grown children close by. Um, so there's definitely benefits to it all around. Oh, I completely agree. And, you know, I look at my own personal story and I was very close with my grandfather growing up and he didn't live with mm-hmm. us, but he lived close by. And because of my relationship with my grandfather, 
this is what I've dedicated my career towards is, is helping yeah. older adults stay in their homes. And it was because of this young relationship with my grandfather. And so having, I mean, I, I think that's perhaps an idealistic way to look at it, but having that <laughs> close connection and interaction might really help to foster empathy in young children. And yeah. um, intergenerational, I mean, coming now, so now here's the gerontologist in me speaking, this intergenerational living is not for everyone. So it's something to really consider for your own personal personal family life, but I think it is a, a beautiful model. Okay, so I want to get back to what you're doing and what is kind of at the heart of your mission, and it's proper planning and design. So why is planning and design, why is this important for intergenerational housing? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, as a as a home designer, I mean, our main focus and, and what, we, what we tell folks is, um, you know, design and planning up front is always your best that's always your best method is um, get everything you want out there, get it into a floor plan. If you're going the multi-generational route, get everybody together, literally make a list, write out what is important to each person, see how you can blend that into a plan so that not only everybody benefits from living under one roof, but also that everybody's you know, thoughts and wishes are respected as a group as well because, I mean, you don't want to give somebody the small bedroom. <laughs> somebody else is, you know, on the other side of the house feeling like they're living in a castle. So you need to respect everybody as well. Um, and, and typically, you know, people come in to us when we, when we see people coming in looking for whether it's a custom home uh, that's going to be multi-generational or, or some that we've done before that they want to look at. Um, you know, they know kind of ahead of time what they're looking for. And, they, and obviously, you know, how many people are going to be there and what the needs are. Um so, yeah, I think design and planning are, are always what we kind of stress up front. Um, think of it that way before you get too, too far <laughs> down, down the process, if you really think this will work. Um, but we find for a lot of people it does. Oh, I love it. I love it. And what you touched, talked about, draw it out, write it out. That's something yeah. that I work with people on, too. It's at, in, I call it an uh, environmental autobiography, looking at the uh -huh. important historical places of your life and how that might translate into present, but also really kind of manifesting it, drawing it out. Imagine, you know, sky's the limit. What would it look like oh, for yeah. you? And, and I love that you mentioned that. I think it's just such a powerful tool and a way to go about it. Um, yeah, sometimes sometimes yeah. seeing it even on a piece of paper, I mean, it may be a great idea in your head, but, but once it's on a piece of paper and, and printed out, you know, full size in front of you, you, you kind of start to rethink things. Well, maybe I don't want to be that close to the kids, or maybe I don't want, you know, my kid's <laughs> bedroom directly over top of the master bedroom. So, you know, you, you start realizing that stuff once it takes a more physical form, even in the drawings. And it's like, ooh, we better we better think about this area of the home a little bit more, pay more attention. And yeah. Is this going to work out? How are we going to get around that, that turn or that corner down this hallway or things like that? Yeah, exactly. definitely. Uh, come out during the design stage. Oh, I love it. And, you know, I heard this story recently of a friend who has her um, in-laws living with her and they're in a basement kind of suite that they have in their basement. But because mm -hmm. it's directly under the living area, they feel like they they can't move around and, and walk the and have the kids yeah. run around because it's, it's so noisy because it's right above the in-law yeah. unit. And these things that we don't automatically think of, we think, oh yeah, we've got a huge basement. They can just live down there and that'll be yeah. great. But then once... When 
once the reality hits and yeah. you you notice yourself modifying your own behavior because of this new situation that can can create a problem so so one thing i wanted right. to bring up that we've talked about before is um noise and i was digging into some research on the effects that noise has on humans so this is kind of a universal effect so if you know obviously we think of okay if we go to a concert and it's really loud we might obtain some hearing loss but also just just n- normal background noise that is created by humans in our environment can actually it reduce immune function, increase gastrointestinal problems, increase aggressiveness, and decrease helpfulness in humans. And it's because noise is an overwhelmingly man-made phenomenon that almost never occurs in nature. So the cars and the airplanes and the, these general noises that are in our environment, we as humans aren't really well adapted to deal with them. And I wanted to... Yeah. Um, bring up this really interesting study that I call a lawnmower study. And I'm going to link to this in the show notes and the website. But um, there, they, there was this very well choreographed study where they hired an actor and they put a cast on the actor on his arm and they had him try to get a box of books out of his car to bring it into the house. And so this is kind of a, a busy suburban street and people are walking their dogs. And 80% of the people that walked by stopped to help this guy with a cast to get his books. And then they introduced one factor, only one change. And that was the next door neighbor was mowing their lawn. So with this addition of just the noise that was relatively close by the next door neighbor, it went from 80% down to 15% of the people walking by stopped to help this guy with the cast. And so the, the theory is that this was this a distraction. So was the lawnmower just a distraction from this person needing help? Or did it really um, induce a bad mood? Does noise make people less kind? And so when we, how do we translate that into a multi-generational setting? So having these elements of noise reduction and privacy for dignity and independence are going to be so, so crucial. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I mean, it is a pretty interesting study um, (laughs) of how that turned out, but yeah, I think as kind of sort of how that could relate to, home design, especially in a multi-generational setting, is kind of back to what we said earlier on the importance of proper design and planning out a home. Um, You know, if you, let's say you have aging grandparents that are going to be on one level um, and their adult children are going to live in a master suite upstairs, and there's also going to be, let's say, three grandkids living in the house, you, you may want to pay attention to how you plan that house properly so that the kid, where the kids come home and hang out maybe doesn't need to be directly beside the grandparents' bedroom um, or in close proximity if, if they need to, you know, just go retire for the afternoon, take a rest, nap. Or, you know, just in general, like if your bonus room or something like that is, you don't want the busiest, loudest areas of the house um, that could cause problems with other people who may have a preference for a more relaxed, quieter, <laughs> you know, afternoon or evening. Um, and there's different ways you can... You can kind of get around that when when you work with a builder, uh, whether it's some you know additional soundproofing in the construction materials, you know doubling drywall. Um, there's different techniques like that, that that the builders can help you out with. But again, it it to me it always still ties back to you know if you plan it out properly and think through these things um, up front, it is always your best case scenario to to properly 
um, plan out the space. Yes, I feel like I'm nodding with my whole body right now. Yes, <laughs> I completely <laughs> yeah. agree. Um, so I would love to hear an example of a multi-generational house uh, that you designed and kind of walk us through it. Why did you choose to put rooms here or there? I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, we've got some, you know, this year we've definitely um, picked up the pace on getting our website going with some of the stock homes that we have uh, for purchase as well as anything that we can customize for um, for anyone who contacts us. But we've got one, it's a larger home um, called the Asheville Plan that's on our website. And if, and if anybody goes online and scans across that, now that home is set up <clears throat> kind of perfectly. As I mentioned, it is a bit larger. It ends up being three stories where it's got a full bedroom suite on the first floor, which could be um, kind of kind of isolated, tucked in behind the kitchen, which you know could have the aging parents there, but still has a really large family room on the opposite side of the house. So let's say um, mom and dad, the adult children, are still downstairs, you know, watching TV, and mom and dad, the grandparents, want to go to bed. So they go on the other side of the house. There's enough separation of space on that floor plan that I think you can still get enough um, activity um, from one set of um, folks on one end of the house and somebody else could go um, to sleep on the other one and not really not really bother anybody. Um, same thing upstairs, though. In that one, we've got a master suite option on the second floor. There's a bonus room um, over the over the garage as typical so the kids could come up there and do what they need to do and they're not still not necessarily right overhead of the grandparents downstairs and then that house also uh had a a large like game media room up on the third floor so there was a completely separate space where okay kids up to the top go go be loud up there play your drum sets guitars whatever you've got you know that's your that's your space and it's, it's far enough away from everything else in the house it there's not too much um, that is disturbing anybody who wants to find their own uh, place to uh, get away for a little bit or do what they need to do. Um, you know, and that house was also, I mean, some of the some of the things we do, of course, in all of our plans is, you know, I, I did mention it's three stories and, you know, we get a lot of questions. Well, how does that work for the aging parents? I was like, well, everything we do, we, we design closets, you know, stackable floor to floor so we can come back and put an elevator um, so it doesn't limit the grandparents to staying on the main level. You know, they can go all the way to the third floor and watch a movie with the kids if they feel like it. But at the same time, hop in the elevator, go back down uh, to their bedroom. Um, and of course, everything we do, which you can see on our site, you know, wider doorways, wider hallways, curbless showers, all the typical, um, you know, principles of universal design and, and aging in place are in all of our plans. But that one's definitely a, a, a model that's catered towards a lot of a lot of space that you can use for what you want to do and still have enough privacy and independence from from the rest of the family to kind of get away for a moment <laughs> um, when it's needed so oh I love it so much and so for the in-law unit does it have its own separate door that can they can close that, and make it a that, completely separate space that one does not um, uh, we, we don't do usually what we do is pretty much all connected under one roof. Um, so the house will still have one main entrance. Um, now we may do, we may divide the floor plan somewhere. So there's a shared hallway, but then you still have a door down the section of that hallway that leads to, um, the units where let's say like the grandparents or someone else may, or another family member member may live. Um, 
But yeah, does, that one did not have an actual exterior entrance. But an interior door to connect. Correct. And yeah. so that they yeah, can correct. go there and they can close it. Oh yeah, close yeah. that off and feel like they're in their own apartment suite. Yeah, we, we've done some also for you know custom clients as well that under a similar concept, you know, they may <clears throat> they may share a couple exterior entrances to get into the home. But then on the, on the rear of the home, her apartment suite was on the rear. So she's got her own um, deck that leads out the back of her living space. Uh, it's still all interconnected with the main um, main house's living area and, and outdoor space. But, yeah, the, you can you can do different things to kind of create that um, separation as well. That sounds beautiful. Oh, I love it. Now I want to see a picture of that one. I'm going to go on your website and look. (laughs) Okay, so one other question that often I think comes up, at least for me, is zoning and regulations and the and also um something i've been looking about looking at for myself too is a potential rental so if you have this connected in-law unit or connected apartment to your house at least in our area there are much kind of more lenient with uh, short-term rental so for example if Mm -hmm. i had an attached you know, a one bedroom apartment, I could rent that out on a short term basis because this is my primary residence. Whereas if it was detached, I wouldn't be able to do that. So around here, cities like Boulder and Denver and the mountain city of Lyons have put in regulations in place that say, if you want to do a short term rental, like an Airbnb style, it needs to be your primary residence. So Mm -hmm. either you move out of your house for a month or you have this accessory, you know, this attached unit, but if it was detached, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't, it wouldn't be okay. And, um, so, so that's just fascinating. So the this style where it is attached, I think, is so much more flexible, too. You have a lot more flexibility with if no one is staying there, if you're just looking at it for the future, and if no one's there right now, you could rent it out, especially if it's a closed door between the main house and this rental unit. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I would, <laughs> because this is something I struggle with, I would love to hear some tips on zoning and who who should we go to in our cities to learn more about this in our area? Yeah, and and to your point, um, you said earlier. I mean, I, I read something the other day just about the area we're in in, in North Carolina. Um, you know, different residential zones are zoned for you know different rules and <clears throat> and requirements. So, and it may vary. I mean, it definitely varies all across the country. Um, but typically, you're going to need to talk to the planning department either for whatever uh, city or county that you're in. That's usually your first step. Um, is get in touch with the planning department, go on their website. They may already have a list of what's acceptable and what's not. They may already have some uh, numbers on if they have a square footage limitation, whether it's attached or detached to the primary residence. Um, You know, they may cap it at a certain size um, or, you know, some areas may not allow it at all in certain, um, certain residential zones. So definitely best bet is always start with the planning department um, and, and, and see what they already perhaps may have posted there or just give them a call or, you know, hire a designer (laughs) like us and we'll do that on your behalf and find out for that area. But uh, yeah, we've seen some popularity in that too. I mean, there's the whole tiny house movement that seems to keep picking up steam. Um, And again, I think it gets back to, you know, people want options and they're, they're thinking of creative ways to get flexibility on the property that they already have whether that is attached to their primary residence or it's an additional unit. Like you, you may hear the term ADU, accessory dwelling unit. Um, you know, th- those come up a lot in terms of what's, what can happen and what can, can't happen on your, on your lot. Um, because I think I'm, I'm not total expert on this and how that affects your primary property value. 
Um, but again, I know it gets assessed with the with the property um, as a whole in most areas. So there, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. But I think those it is a trend that's you know picking up quite a bit all over. Yeah, and it's interesting. I feel like cities are struggling with this right now, trying to figure out how or if to regulate short-term rentals like Airbnbs, and or how mm-hmm. and if to regulate things like tiny houses and ADUs, yeah. and and um, so it's it seems like a really um, kind of lively time for well, this to for people yes. to reach out to their their local um local elected representatives and talk about what they would like yeah sure yeah and i mean if you really if you think about it for a second and kind of just back up for a second i mean it seems like it's kind of a new hot topic but i mean think of the old classic example of like an apartment over the garage i mean that's really nothing new you know people have have been doing that for for decades um but yeah it, it probably all boils down a lot of times just what your local area will um will require and how they want to regulate it and and things like that on, on on your, um, on your lot. So, yeah, I did find a really neat resource recently, the American tiny house association. So you can go to American tiny house association.org and they have a list of, um, state regulations. So they go state by state and even city by city in some cases to talk about what the regulations are in those areas for tiny houses. So those are the accessory Mm -hmm. dwelling units. And so that could also be considered a granny pod. You know, I'm sure you've heard this term. I don't know if other listeners have, but uh, a little pre-made prefabricated unit that you can kind of place in your backyard. And that is also the kind of the if i have this right it's considered the same as a tiny house an accessory dwelling unit which is quite different than what your floor plans are which are connected so i definitely encourage everyone to head to your website and take a look at your floor plans because you sell just the floor plans correct so someone can buy the floor plan from you and then go to their local builder and say i would like it to be built like this this is the correct yep yep we do that our our main our main uh, focus is stock plans that we already have designed or or modifications to those plans some people may call up and say hey I really like it, but what could we do on this, you know, this bedroom or change a few things? So that's not a problem either, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And I love your plans too. I, I'm a Southern girl. So I just, your front porches just get, get me every time. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're definitely, um, trying to get more up there as, as quick as we can. Um, so we've got a, we've got another batch that we'll be loading up soon, um, to get out there. So. Thank you. Yeah, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate talking with you. To reach Mark and see some of his beautiful floor plans, visit the website, lifestagehomedesigns.com. Thank you for listening to Home and Place Podcast. You can find links to the items we discussed on my website, homeandplacepodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. While you're there, please rate and review the show. This really does help more people find the podcast. If you have show ideas, I would love to hear them. This episode actually grew out of listener requests. So reach out on my website or social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Home and Place. I'm your host, Nicole Kane. I'm the owner of Home and Place Project, Rethinking the Built Environment. With a background in occupational therapy, environmental gerontology, and training as a certified aging in place specialist, I help homeowners, researchers, and businesses go beyond ADA to create beautiful and inclusive environments. My work is based in solid research and guided by a deep appreciation for the power of place and importance of personal choice. To connect, collaborate, or just find out more about me and my work, visit my website, homeandplaceproject.com. 
Special thanks to the Audio Information Network of Colorado for broadcasting this episode to their radio listeners. Learn more about them at aincolorado.org. And finally, thank you to Delia of Northfield, Minnesota for composing and performing this original music. Take us home, Delia. Thank you.